This is Concepts, where two pretentious sirs quibble over ideas that explain today's world. Phil Shea and Steve Rose. My name is Phil Shea. I am writing for makeaskilljack.com, and you can find more writing by me at hittingajack.com. Steve? My name is Steve Rose, and you can find more about me at steveroseph.com, where I write about mental health and addiction. Welcome to Concepts, the podcast where we explore concepts. Welcome back, if you're coming back. Today, we're going to be talking about force multipliers. So, Steve, do you have any familiarity with this at all? No, it sounds like Star Wars or something. It's funny. It's actually, I'm not entirely sure where it came from. I just know that it is often applied in the military. It seems like a military science thing, which is why I'm actually kind of surprised you haven't heard of it. Well, I I get the idea. It's more like you, you add this thing plus this other thing and there's an exponential effect. Is that kind of it? Somewhat. Yeah, it can be like that, but that it's more like In the military, I was talking about tools or innovations in technology that allowed them to do more with less. So say you have a platoon, a small platoon, and you equip them with new equipment or strategies, and they're able to fend off a force that's five times larger than them. That would be a multiplier of five, obviously. But yeah, it's it's not necessarily exponential, Mm. like itself times itself. It could just be, say, one person with a smartphone now can do so much more than somebody like a hundred years ago who had no internet or computers, right? Computers are a huge force multiplier. Yeah. So technology, I guess, would be the the force multiplier that we're typically referring to, is it not? Yeah. Except I think I would make it technology more broadly speaking, because when people think about technology, they often think about like high tech software, electronics. No, technology could be a toaster. Yeah. Or cooking fire. Yes. I guess even like walking was a technology at one point. Yeah. <laughs> Sleep. So these things are all technically technologies. But I think, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Writing, writing utensils are extremely useful. It's uh, one of the reasons yeah. why I found Mandarin so difficult to learn is because you can't read very quickly or easily. Right. So even writing yeah, is also a technology. So Having these things can help you get more done. And again, since I always feel compelled now, since we talked about internalized capitalism to be like, I'm not saying just be productive. I I guess it's the same thing I'm trying to fend off that Tim Ferriss has been often misinterpreted as saying. We will be talking about him actually quite a bit in this this conversation. Mm -hmm. But people think he's saying maximize all the time. Just keep doing more. They think he's kind of sometimes they misinterpret him to be like Gary Vee. Or Gary V's older messages about hustle culture. Well, Gary V is also misinterpreted uh, with hu- hustle culture too. And yeah, if, if, I think we've touched on that briefly. Yeah, so yeah, I think you're you're constantly wanting to not be misinterpreted as saying force multipliers, be always productive. Hold on, though. We, I just realized this is one of our one of the feedbacks we've been given was about dropping names like that. So Tim Ferriss is the author of The 4-Hour Workweek. He's all about maximizing productivity and focusing on the things that matter in life. Who is Gary Vee? He's an entrepreneur, social media guru, I guess you can say. And he's, he's been promoting a lot of the hustle culture recently. Yes. So anyway, that Ferriss is more about getting more waste out of your out of your schedule and your day getting more done in less time so then you have more time 
to do whatever you want. Basically what we were talking about in the past couple episodes, I believe. Yes. Yes. More simply speaking, if you want to be more concrete, I have a quote here. This is the opening of the force multiplication Wikipedia page. Quote, in military science, force multiplication or a force multiplier refers to a factor or a combination of factors that gives personnel or weapons or other hardware the ability to accomplish greater feats than without it. End quote. That sounds pretty straightforward. Yeah, just get, get more done with, with the same amount of effort, basically. So more simply, if you want to think about very physical things, like simple, simple machines, like the, I can't remember how many there are. There are simple machines like um, a lever, a pulley, a wedge. These things are force multipliers themselves because you can put in a little bit of effort and get a lot more out. So for instance, those simple machines are what we think the pyramids were built with, right? With there's a bunch of people moving impossibly large rocks yeah. and making them go from point A to point B. We were able to like the wheel again, they use that as well to, to roll the, the rocks on what we believe was like logs. Yeah, that's that's the simplest way to think about it. Yes. So something something like a, a, a lever or a lever, as they say, uh, <laughs> can allow you to lift something that's much heavier if you have the appropriate dimensions mapped out. Right. You just need a fulcrum, a lever, and just a point where you can place leverage. Is it lever or lever? It's both. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, are you mocking my pronunciation? Because <laughs> I don't think either one is universally correct. Okay. Um, but I think it was Galileo who said, uh, shit, something along the lines of, I, all I need is a fulcrum and a lever and a place to leverage it, and I can move the entire world. Uh, so he was obviously very, very bought in on that that capacity. Mm. So one guy I was watching, he was just some random gun enthusiast, not usually watching these things. He came up because I was searching for his multipliers. Why are you watching these things? That's not you. No, I, it's just, he was talking about force multipliers in terms of like the military. Okay. So he was claiming that it's not about weaponry or equipment. It's about tactics and strategies. So he's saying you can do different things in different ways. And even if you use the same technology or new technology in conventional ways, it might not be a force multiplier for you. A mine, for instance, might be not super valuable, just one by itself, especially if you don't use it well. But if you bury it somewhere and it blows up while enemy soldiers are going through a region, they have no idea whether they're in the middle of a minefield, if it's just a one-off mine. But whatever whatever the case, it just like makes them scramble and kind of worry a lot more and be more cautious. So that can allow you to have more time by slowing them down. Just by like, say, say, you know, the funnel that they're going to be coming through, you place like five mines, but you do it in such a way that it makes it seem like there could be tons more all over the place. It'll suddenly slow down their movement to at least half pace because they need to figure out where the, the danger is and not proceed until they can figure it out. Right. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So I have some um, conversational stuff coming up. I'm just going to dive into the Tim Ferriss stuff. I just <laughs> went really far back in his podcast library. So you can listen to these yourself or read the transcript because uh, he has transcripts for every episode. But his sixth episode was um, promoting something called Choice Minimal Lifestyle. So six things to for more output and less overwhelm is what its, it's subtitle is. So I'm, I'm going to address this because it's related as an example of a strategy or tactic and not necessarily a physical tool or piece of equipment, because this is just a, a different approach, but it will increase your output potentially if you follow it. You with me? Okay. That sounds pretty useful, actually. Yeah, because that's kind of why I want to bring this up, because if you're looking around and you analyze the things you're doing, the reason I dipped into Ferris is because he's pretty much a super proponent of all this that 
if we are to examine our life, our lives, so we can find better ways to do stuff that will get us more with, with less effort. I love it. So, I, I do value efficiency. Yeah, I think we all do. As much as you would argue uh, otherwise. I don't know if I would argue that. Eh, yeah, fine. <laughs> Extremely wasteful. Okay. So he, he started thinking about this because he came across the book. He was in a bookstore and he couldn't find a, a particular book and was feeling overwhelmed. And he came across Barry Schwartz, um, pretty much classic, instant classic, The Paradox of Choice. That book, he, he remembers two important notes that he pulls out of it, which are one, the more options you consider, the more buyer's regret you'll have and the more regret in general. So, and then the more options you encounter, the less fulfilling your ultimate outcome will be. So first, just how many you think about actually consider buying will cause you to have more buyer's regret the more you consider. And then just seeing that there are tons of options will leave you feeling like your ultimate outcome is less satisfying. Mm. Yes. So for him... He's arguing that attention is currency and that's, I guess, today more than ever. I mean, people say that for a lot of stuff, but yeah, definitely today more than ever, attention is a currency. And we're like, even on this platform, we're, we're trying to capture just a little bit more of it, right? Yeah. So the question he posed that I have for you is, is your weekend really free if you find a crisis in your inbox Saturday morning that you cannot address until Monday morning? No, it's, it's not. It's not free. You are chained to the inbox and needing to do something about something. Yeah. And you can't do anything about it. So it's constantly taking up mental space. It's kind of like that quote about, what is it? Anger is letting people live rent-free in your head. It's kind of similar to that, but for the weekend. Yeah, no, completely. Yeah. This is, is all in, that's his question, Tim Ferriss. And he states that time has no practical value without attention. What do you think about that? Time has no practical value without attention. Hmm. Hmm can have all the time in the world, but if you can't focus on the things that matter or even just the present moment or, or even that, if you're caught in your head, thinking about the future, worrying about the past and regretting something or, or trying to mentally prepare for some big thing coming up, there's a metaphor I like to use. It's like trying to drive, but constantly looking at the GPS or the rear view mirror and never actually looking at the road. Mm. it's pretty dangerous for sure if you can't ever focus on on the present moment uh and and perhaps you'd miss out on many valuable moments and miss out on life yeah kind of reminds me of something that i heard on a sam harris podcast i just caught up on a bunch of podcasts today but he was talking about how people would prefer to shut the windows in the airplane and watch something on the screen in front of them than to look outside and see what would be an impossible view 100 years ago I think it was about a hundred years ago, maybe a little bit earlier than that. But yeah, most humans have not been able to see that. And we choose to close the shutter and not look at it. Oh, I choose to look at it. Well, good for you, Mr. Special. <laughs> the whole time. I just sit there, eyes glued. Even with, with the sun down, I just stare out in the inky void. Yes, because I can, because we're so privileged at our point in, in history. Yeah, pretty much. But... Yeah, it is. I, I think, though, they, there's a valid point in there that like, some people like to pretend that the invisible invisible forces that are keeping them suspended, they, they don't want to think about those things. They don't want to think about them flying through the air at an incredible speed in a tube. So they just shut it out and pretend that they're, they're in the world that they're watching on screen, perhaps. It's kind of like an avoidance coping. Yeah, yeah, basically. How does this connect back to the question? Which time is not practical. I'm just kind of a tangent. <laughs> no, just all right. So, I mean, it's all, I mean, it's probably, 
when I, when I go back and I, I listen to the podcast, I can see how I connected it back. And it also usually isn't as disparate as I thought in the moment, but right now I don't, I don't know. I'm just spitballing. So he, he talks about the tools that he proposes for, this is back to Ferris again, the, that he proposes to follow the choice minimal lifestyle, which to me appears to just be like a form of minimalism, but more abstract than most people think. Cause most people, when they think about minimalism, it's just about less things, less physical clutter. So he, he arrived at this lifestyle choice through the thinking of the following. So one, considering options cost attention and then cannot be spent on actions or present state awareness. So considering options sort of pulls you out of the present state. In other words, by sitting there, you're thinking about, well, I could pick this or that. Or, uh, you're, you're not in the moment. You're, just, you're kind of living in an abstract realm where you're considering A or B or C or however many things. So it actually distracts from the moment. So longer and the more choices the longer you consider choices in general and the more choices you have, the less you're actually in the moments because you're stuck deliberating. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. It reminds me, it reminds me of picking out gifts for you and pretty timely because oh, it's my birthday tomorrow. It's your birthday tomorrow. And yeah. I recently got into this loop of checking different things and checking other things and comparing them and like, no, then this other one. And you get in this kind of, <laughs> this taken away from the present almost lost my job almost almost lost the house (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm sure it was so so fatal to your life oh yeah no i get the idea yeah you're 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 scrolling through amazon or or for example for some people it's netflix and you're like what are we i can't imagine you in a grocery store just oh that's why it takes forever that's why i value efficiency is because it takes forever to do things where there's so many options that I value efficiency. But you'll love some of these strategies here. I'll yeah. say that because we're, we're heading towards them. Well, it saves me, it saves me time where I can so that I can focus all my attention on making these decisions. But uh, Netflix, you know, people are like, what are we going to watch this evening? And they spend the first hour just trying to figure out what they're going to watch. Oh yeah. 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 I, I actually, that's, I think why I think a lot of, a lot of the future will be about what's it called curating, not, not offering. So like, eventually there will just have so much stuff that it'll be about curating. And I think a lot of them really fail at that. Like I've complained about this as one of my number one complaints about modern tech companies and media platforms is that they don't like Google, YouTube doesn't sort of okay job, but it kind of radicalizes you. But like Netflix does a terrible job. All the video and movie streaming services do terrible jobs because they have access to everything we watch of curating. Yeah. yeah. It's just, they keep pumping their own shit because they think, Oh, they'll like our stuff. So then they'll come back to us. But instead what they're getting, what they're giving us is just annoyance. I'm annoyed because you're yeah. pushing stuff that I have never shown any interest in and it's front and center. Yeah. What you're referring to is the, the suggestions screen is really bad, particularly on yeah. Netflix. It, it's really not, well, it carefully honed in from what I've seen any of the streaming services, like prime is just a pain in the ass to use. Cause it keeps like faking you out being like, watch this video. Oh, by the way, to pay for this one, like what, what do you even segment that off? What am I paying for? So anyway, this is a gripe, gripes about stuff. But yeah, I think in the future it'll be about curation. Like you, people who have had similar tastes to you have also had a high chance of liking these things. Here's yeah. the served up instead of what we currently get, which is here's a bunch of stuff we made and that is popular because we're pushing it so much. And the entire page is full of just our shit, which is not anything to do with you. Like, what do I care what other people in Canada are watching or other people in my region? Are they similar to me just because they live in proximity to me? I mean, maybe <laughs> a little bit culturally, but really no. 
So yeah. it's just, it's just dumb. Anyway, we're really off. <laughs> I was going through his thoughts of uh, how he got the choice minimal lifestyle. Okay. So number two. <laughs> yeah. This is relevant to choice minimal lifestyle. I don't want to have to make so many choices. Yeah. Yeah, it is. But I'm just, I mean, like, let's, let's, let's refocus. What is it? Okay. Two. <laughs> number, number two, shut up, is attention is necessary, not only for productivity, getting things done, but also appreciation. I'm just going to read. There's only four of them. So I'm just going to read them all. So number three, attention is necessary for both of those things getting things done and appreciation and too many choices equals less or no productivity appreciation and leads to a sense of overwhelm. Yep. Yep. Pretty overwhelming trying to find a gift for Phil. I don't think so. Honestly, I have a lot of hobbies that you could easily find some small tool or a book on the topic that wouldn't be that difficult. That's my stake. But I mean, like I already, I already know (laughs) what I like. So yeah, you know what you like. I don't know what you like. I I don't even know you. Uh Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely not. We don't have like a continually running dialogue about like all things basically. (laughs) So So how do you minimize the choices in this four step process here? Well, one of the ways actually that he suggested, and this is a technology is religion. So religion actually forces a lot of choices out of your, your consideration. Like you cannot Mm -hmm. do this. You cannot do that. They have very strict laws on certain things that just mean you never have to consider them ever. So like that, that. that is one force, but he, I'm not religious. I don't think you're extremely religious. No, I'm, I'm not. I'm not religious, but I, I like the idea of thinking about religion in that way. Let's just say. I mean, they are kind of, they're basically that, right? That's generally how that, they're the core of them is usually what you can and can't do mm-hmm. and must and must not believe, but and how to interact with people. Anyway, uh, he, he comes up with his own rules for non-religious folks. So right. like you or me to avoid decision fatigue which is another concept we've never talked about, but could one day. You'd probably find it interesting, I think. Sure. All right. It seems relevant to this. It is, but uh, I don't know enough about it. Apparently there was a bit, I mean, there's probably a books entirely written about it, but I haven't read them. Anyway, what he suggests for non-religious people. So there are six of these. Okay. So one, these are all from his, his podcast, number six on his podcast. So one, set rules for yourself so you can automate as much decision making as possible. So, uh, for him, he doesn't really give, he he probably gives examples in the podcast, but that's, that's still, I mean, pretty, pretty straightforward, right? Like don't check your emails every five minutes, like check your emails, maybe once an hour, once every few hours, for instance, for him, I know he, he limits that to two times a day. Right. Okay. So having a rule that I only check it at this time and that time. And it takes away the need to compulsively open it up and see, is there anything in there? Is there any, any new clients, any new money coming in? Well, it's like you and I both, I think we, we check our numbers for our websites continually. I was just thinking that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'm constantly doing that, which is just, it's just, it pulls you out of the moment. I realized that just constantly all this checking is, is dumb. I did it. I did it also with dating apps where you're just constantly checking back like dating app or website stuff and you're like, Oh, what has progressed so far? But you need to like, just do stuff, do other stuff and it will grow and progress on its own as long as you're doing the right things. Right. So just set rules. So you don't have to think about these things. Yeah, so I'm, two I'm is checking my numbers right now, actually stop. You always get distracted during these. <laughs> okay, so number two, do not ruminate on decisions until you can actually make them. So don't be like, Oh, what about this or that? Unless you have actual input or like some, some actual strategy that will help you get forward to making a a concrete and good decision. Don't bother continually to think about it. 
Yes, I love this. It relates so much to the the content I've been doing recently on overthinking. Mm. You going to go further than that or <laughs> I, I wanted to hear a little bit more about what you were saying before I say something. Okay, well, I was just going to go on to the next rule. Oh, okay. That's all right. Right. So the, this the why behind the overthinking would be psychologically it feels productive uh, when there's mm. a lack of control or, the, or there's uncertainty and there, or there's fear about what can potentially happen. And so this overthinking uh, is actually a, a coping mechanism like an addiction where it feels good in the short term, like, oh, I'm doing something, I'm thinking about it, I'm doing the problem solving. But as you said, when you don't have all the necessary information or it's not the time to make that decision right now, it really becomes this form of rumination or repetitive thoughts and worry. It sounds just like worry, right? And, And the phrase that I like for that is, worry is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere. Ooh, I like that one. That that's exactly what I was pretty much saying. And there's another quote that I that I have about worry that uh, it's is it's as effective as trying to solve an algebra equation by chewing bubble gum. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that good. I agree. Next one, good. number three. Do do not postpone decisions or leave open loops just to avoid uncomfortable conversations. So an open loop is like when somebody invites you to do something and you say, uh, maybe, or just, you, you don't say no, you give them some hope and you don't really say yes or no is kind of a wishy-washy response. Well, that's super common. Oh, it's extremely common, but it's dumb because you constantly have this thing in the back of your head. You know, you need to get back to that. And then if you remember it, you feel guilty because you haven't said shit. And then you might just avoid the person because you still haven't given them an answer well, and, or you never really wanted to go. Yeah, this happens all the time. So uh, <laughs> you his, pass by them in the mall and then you put up like yeah. a shopping bag across your head. So or they can't see you. these days, wear your mask and pull down, like wear a hat. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Just pretend you didn't see them. Uh, <laughs> so his recommendation for, for solving this one is to say something like, uh, I'm pretty sure I can't make that. I'll let you know if that changes. Well, That's it. So yeah. you basically said no. And if it, if you can, then you come back, but if you don't do anything, then you've already given them the answer. You're not coming. Yeah. So no open loops, meaning there's no like question marks hanging in your mind of like, Oh, I should really get back to that person. Oh, I feel bad. I didn't yeah. get back. Oh yeah. These decisions that need to be made and that are constantly leeching attention and possibly uh, causing you to feel a little bit overwhelmed because, Oh, I got to answer all these people because you keep putting off answering them. So they keep collecting this cloud of decisions that needs to be made eventually. And you just keep putting them off. Yeah. So close the loop, make the decision, say no, be clear in your no. But also leave it open that if, if you can make it, then you can change your mind. Then you can change it to a uh, yes, but it's not a maybe you're not going to be in the maybe zone. Yeah. It's a no, but that might change. If, if something changes, I'll let you know. Yeah. Uh, that if it has to be, if a decision has to be made, like you have to purchase tickets or something, then just say no, if you're yeah. really not into it and you can buy them later, I guess. Yeah. Don't be like, Oh, uh, maybe come. And then they buy the tickets expecting, cause they take the maybe as a yes. Oh and then, man. I hate that where oh. people will say, yeah, 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 I'm into it. And then when it comes time to actually pay, they're like, Oh, actually I can't make it. And like, you owe me money. <laughs> you have to pay me now. Don't go. I don't give a shit. But if I can sell it, great. But you're paying me the full price. Did something like this happen to you with like a bachelor party last year? They were, they were demanding pay up front. And I was like, I don't really feel like I'm living at the time I was living with my parents who are both over 60 
And I was just like, I don't think I want to go to a bachelor's party to risk in the middle of the pandemic. Yeah. COVID. If, if people listen to this far in the future and they're like, what's so risky about going to a bachelor party? <laughs> yeah. There's the, we were still trying to figure out the disease. It's still being figured out now for yeah. whatever reason. But yeah, they, they wanted me to pay a certain amount up front. And I was like, yeah, I'm definitely out. <laughs> if that, if like when they forced me to pay, then I was like, then decisions made. Cause like, if you need a decision now, then no. So that was, that was just how it ended up going. Yeah. Uh, this one, this next tip, number four, I think you will find particularly useful for the grocery store, which is just learn to make non-fatal or reversible decisions as quickly as possible. So if it's not going to kill you and it's not going to be irreversibly damaging and the risk is really low, the risk is by his definition, some irreversible negative outcome. If the risk of something like that happening is very, very low, then don't even worry about it and just choose something. Anything is fine. Oh, and my- he, he proposes... Okay, keep going. I'm going to make a correction about my grocery store issues. Okay, well, he <laughs> he suggests three solutions that might help this a little bit more. One is setting time limits. So you only you can only deliberate for five minutes and then then whatever your thoughts are, you have to make a choice at that time. Two is limit the number of options. So the problem with the whole Netflix thing you're talking about is they have hundreds of movies and you're like, ah, I don't feel like that one. I don't feel like that one. You can do that all night. That could be the entire hobby. So just instead say, we're going to look at three and then of those, we're going to, we're going to pick one. Okay. And then finally, the last one is a financial threshold. So you can only spend X amount of dollars. So that that's it. So for him, it was with right. his personal assistants, his employees, they kept pestering him about like, wow, should I do this or should I not do this? It'll cost $20. He's like, if it's less than a hundred dollars in cost to fix or less than a hundred dollars risk of loss, just do it. Don't like the customer is our customer. I am not your customer. Just do what you think is right. I remember him talking about that in four hour work week where yeah. giving the, the assistants clear rules about how to operate, uh, allowed them to have that freedom to not have to check in with him every five seconds and therefore distracting him and taking away the time he can spend doing other things. Well, it was not only the clear rules, but also giving them some, a level of autonomy. They can make yes. their own choice. It's, it's not yeah. rules as in like black and white operate this way. But rules as like, um, here's a, here's a, a decision-making guideline. Follow this. Use your, use your discretion. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. So what were you saying about your misunderstanding of the grocery store? Uh, none of this helps me with the grocery store. No? It's not about not being able to make a decision about what I want. That's not the issue. <laughs> because the, these things are, are discussing that as the issue. My issue is, I... I I don't know where to find things. That's because you're not there enough, apparently. Yeah. So it's like, I'm like looking at the signs and then I didn't see it. So I went all the way to the other side and like, oh, I have to go back and I didn't see it again. So I'm walking back and forth, looking at these signs. And then finally I'm like, oh, that's the right sign because I'll miss it. You know, so it's like, where's the cereal? And I, I I didn't see cereal on any of those signs. And after going back and forth three times, then I'll find the cereal aisle. And then I'll go to the next item. And then it's like, oh, that one's way across the other side. Oh, so I have to go way on the other side. Would you say that your mental maps are not super great? I don't know. It's just like you have to go all the way across the store like 10 times. And so the the walking takes forever. No, because you, okay, for one, grocery stores are all laid out in almost the same way. And for two, if you know what you need and you have a list, you can organize a list so that you don't have to backtrack at all. You have a one path through. Okay, so like when you first walk in, it's almost always going to be produce 
and fresh stuff, like grocery stuff, right? Fresh kosher. Well, that's that's the ideal is that you organize it by by categories, but it doesn't always work out that way in practice because sometimes there'd be like, oh, the one thing you forgot from that category, so you have to go back and then. Oh no, there's the other thing I forgot from this other category. And, and then you mix them up when you miss something. And I'm, I'm assuming you don't have a list in your hand. Sometimes the list it, it even makes it difficult too, because sometimes you, you just forget something and then you have to go to the other side again. Okay. Then I, I don't <laughs> find that as an issue. Cause I, I guess I worked in a grocery store, but I, I think I came up with an app idea, which uh, please somebody take this, steal it and do it because it's it'll just, be, it'll be a force way. multiplier. Yeah. I was just thinking, okay, you can put in your grocery list and the location you're going to, and then just say like, this is what I'm looking for. And then it gives you like a GPS gives you a walking map of the store Yes, and be like, okay, this is there. This is there. This is there. This is there. And yes. I guess they'd have to update. Cause I think they have in their database where things are stored on shelves. Cause they make deals with companies and brands of which which level it's going to be put on. Cause they had to pay more to put it at eye level. And so I, I imagine you could probably do this because for one, the grocery stores will benefit because it'll have a easier flow of customers going through it. And the customers will like it because again, it, it like streamlines this shit, but also can help you with maybe deals if they were to incorporate oh, that in. So perfect. It, it would like organize the list based on the floor plan. And then you would just simply yes. walk around like a, like a GPS and you'd be like first item. Cling, you know, like check it off as soon as you get it and like oh perfect yeah, that'd be great yeah it'd be amazing but uh my one friend thought it was implausible because he didn't think grocery stores would go for it um if you're a small grocery chain do it up see if see if it can work because uh, it seems like it well i mean the whole software development side is sticky but it just seems like something that would be extremely functional same especially with like malls malls are malls. so unwieldy oh, at times so unwieldy i think grocery stores are bad I'm in a mall. Like that's, that's even worse. <laughs> okay. So number five, do not strive for variation and thus increase options when it's not needed. This is something I should probably focus on. R- routine enables innovation where it is most valuable. Yeah. You should focus so, on some structure there. Well, I, I do now. Like I, I have my days and fairly now. relatively structured. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, I, I find structure to be a bit chaining at times. I like the ability to, to flex and, <laughs> do whatever i mean fl- like flex the schedule a bit by making right, it not flexing change. like your muscles <laughs> yeah i gotta like show off show off my guns um flexing yeah so he says um do not confuse okay this is his take again do not confuse what should be results driven driving results driving with routine exercise fuel for breakfast with something that is enjoyment driven so results driven things should be routine where you don't think about it it just keeps chipping away at this big goal you're going towards whereas if it's enjoyment based you don't want it to be just a routine for enjoyment you probably do want some variety but if it's going towards a goal, like you're trying to get jacked or something, you need to have just routine, stop making all these stupid choices and decisions and variations and tweaks. Just do the, the 80% that's going to get you the maximum amount of results mm. or 20%, I guess. Well, it's interesting separating the enjoyment from the results. Um, I, I typically don't do that. I, I have, I've integrated them typically. And I also find enjoyment in routine. The ritual of it. I don't find too much enjoyment of that, but I did think that 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 um we mentioned this briefly in a voice note about how holidays such as Christmas or season related holidays are a celebration of continuing to exist in that location and having a stable enough uh, life as a species that we're able to have these these rituals 
So that the ritual of say Christmas shows that your, your family and community has been successful enough over enough time that having a seasonal holiday actually makes sense. But if you're like a nomadic group that you're not going to have probably a a seasonal holiday with a particular food because you might not know if it'll be available there. (laughs) Yeah. Hunter gatherers or, or other types of early civilization be very difficult to have those calendar uh, traditions going on there. Yeah. Well, if they had a calendar at all. Uh, And then the final one, the final one is uh, a regret is past tense decision-making that I thought was insightful. Regret is what? Past tense decision-making. It's decision, making decisions again in the past when you can't, the decision's been made and your regret is that you couldn't have decided differently. So you're trying to continue to make decisions for something that is impossible to change. I like it. Uh, It's a very interesting way of phrasing regret. It's like you're trying to Mm. change your decision in living in the past. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So the next thing I had to talk about was something called the Boyd loop B O Y D. It's from a air force pilot and Pentagon consultant, but he claims that it will affect tons of things, including business sports, law enforcement and military operations. I'd imagine it, it actually probably would help even more, but uh, he was, he was famous for coming up with something called the high low mix which was having a large number of less expensive aircrafts coupled with a small number of extremely capable silver bullet aircrafts, which was able to have the effect of a much larger force by having this kind of mix of cheap and expensive and powerful things together. Uh, so his, his orders are there's, there's four steps for him and he applies it to those areas I mentioned before. First is observe. So make use of the best sensors and other intelligence they have available. Second one is orient. So put the new observations into a context with the old technology or observations that they have. Three is decide, decide. So select the next action based on the combined observations and local knowledge with these new observations and intelligence and the innovations. When looking at that in the context with old technology or old approaches, is the transfer cost worth it? Is the, are the benefits actually that much more worthwhile? Is it that much more efficient or is it better to stay the same? And this, <laughs> that particular topic, I think, is related to what you've been talking about recently, which is arguing for the strengths of staying the same. Yes. Want to talk about that for a second? The way I talked about that was more so in the motivational realm. Like if you're talking about change with someone, it's tempting to just go into, here's why you should change. Why do you think you should change? And then just talking about why they should change. When really, in reality, it's it's useful to bring as much attention to the reasons for staying the same and to have mm-hmm. the courage to even ask those questions about what are the benefits of what you're doing right now and, and why would you want to continue doing what you're doing? Because if you don't bring attention to the reasons for staying the same, those reasons don't go away. They're still there. They're just uh, more unconscious. And Hmm. actually can drive you back to staying the same, even if it's not in your best interest. Especially if the person's going to rebel, because by only talking about the benefits of change, you're effectively not making saying the same an option. No, meaning you're you're kind of taking away agency, right? You can't say the same. You're shaming the idea of what they're currently doing as well. Yeah, it's invalid. You're not like, you know, making fun of them explicitly. But the implicit message is that what you're doing is invalid. You should be doing this other thing. And uh, it's just not a helpful way of operating. I actually used that thinking today to help one of my friends because she just took a, a break from her work. And then today was the first day going back. And she said, Oh, I think everybody's, I, I feel like everybody hates me or is angry at me for having taken time off. 
And so instead of doing like what normal people do, what, what do normal people do in that context? Like, right as you said that, I had like a, an internal dialogue as if I was responding. Uh, <laughs> in my head, I was just like, oh, well, maybe they do. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what I, that's just what my, my internal dialogue said. It's kind but of But obviously that's not normal, right? No, that would not be normal. So normally it would be, it would, the reaction would probably be, Oh, no, 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 no. They, they, okay. don't, they totally they, understand. No, 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 no. It's okay. You're good. They, they understand you. Yeah. Reassurance. But I guess my knee jerk reaction was probably, uh, kind of, uh, honed over years of working in this, uh, the addiction field, I guess, where you're always thinking of motivation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and be, being very careful with your language. I actually did what you, you were thinking. I said, well, Ooh, you what if they do? And like, are they going to kill you or are they just going to whisper about you? Are they going to like chase you out of town or are they just going to put up with it and get over it eventually? Cause yeah. yeah, maybe they do hate you, but it's, this is a blip in your life is just get through it. Cause this is not even like this particular job is not particularly important, but even if it is, it's all fleeting. And <laughs> while those all, things do, all do hurt, like it is, but like, Oh, as far as things go, the social ostracization can hurt for sure. But if you keep it in perspective that they're not tar and feathering you or like chasing you out of town or doing something far more malicious, it's, it's survivable and you can, you can get out of it still. Yeah. And it's interesting that we had kind of a similar response. Uh, and I'm taking it from you though. So where I would have taken it though, rather than that direction which it's a good valid direction, but my, I oh, guess thank you next, for validating me. my next step probably would have been, and it probably says a lot more about them than it says about you. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. So I bring some curiosity to it. Like, wow, isn't that interesting? It's kind of funny. They're, they're reacting that way. Well, that's hmm. an interesting uh, response there and probably says a lot about their mentality and, and their satisfaction in their life. So I'd kind of flip it that way. True, though nobody's actually shown outright aggression or said anything, so there's no, there's nothing to comment on in that that front. Anyway, I'm gonna I'm gonna close the loop. We're having an open loop here of mm -hmm. Boyd's loop. The final one is number four: act. So carry out the selected action, ideally while the opponent is still observing your last action. So this is to try to catch. This is when you're, I guess, dealing in, like you said, business or sports. You're trying to so observe what they're doing, orient with the new observations and come up with some way to counter it, then decide whether it's worth pursuing and then quickly act while they're still reeling from the last thing you did. <laughs> it's, it sounds kind of violent in a way. It's like, well, it was developed for war. Yeah. It's but, like shoot them in the foot so you can distract them and then go, go do something else. And then do you remember that <laughs> you had to come up with a move in, in Taekwondo and you pointed at their face, you yelled stomach and then you kicked them in the groin. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you remember that? Yes. Oh, yeah. No way. So that's that's perfect. That's kind of our juvenile Taekwondo move that we came up with. Yes, you, you disorient the person so much by pointing in one direction, looking in another direction, and then actually kicking in the, in the third direction. It's kind of like doing rock, paper, scissors and saying, I'm going to I'm going to shoot rock. I'm going to I'm going to do paper. And like, are you telling the truth or not? You have to decide. And if you keep... Yeah. With like judo, for instance, with that, you wanted to, you did taekwondo, I did judo. Judo, you were supposed to like set up a rhythm. So like you keep kind of jerking them to the right a little bit, like one, two, and then they, they are suddenly subconsciously following this rhythm and resisting because they're trying to resist your force. 
And so you know mm-hmm. that on the third count, they're probably going to lean in the opposite direction equal to the amount that you were pulling to the right. And so when they lean that way on the third count, you would throw the opposite direction. So pull to the right twice and then throw to the left because it'll go with their own momentum. This is verbal judo. This is exactly what we were talking about before. Yes. When we were talking about the motivation and communicating and leaning into to fears or things that are that are involving staying the same. By leaning into mm. that, you're doing that same judo move in a way. You're using their own momentum. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's clever. That's actually also what the guy I sent you, Yuri Bezmenov. Uh, he's a controversial figure because he's a former Russian spy, and he talks about their their intelligence tactics to try to destabilize other countries. And he's talking about how it's it's essentially this using the momentum of the culture to push it off balance and make it so it's it's people will lose their bearings and start fighting each other. So, for instance, talking in North America about the different social issues like race, sexuality, gender, and really playing those up because the momentum's already there. People are already seeing these things or rich versus poor boomers versus um, millennials, et cetera. Just these trends already exist, but they see them and try to capitalize on them by throwing gasoline on the fire as much as they possibly can to distract basically. Yes. Yes. Using the society's own pain points and momentum fueling that to divide the country. Or like COVID, actually. COVID does the same to some degree. So people who say, I don't need the vaccine. Polarizes people. Well, no, yeah. no, I meant the virus itself. Oh, okay. So people are saying, I don't need the vaccine. I have a, I have a, something called an immune system. My immune system's strong. But the problem is that some viruses, including COVID, like have you ever heard the whole cytokine storm thing in the news? That's essentially no. a very strong immune system overreacting to the virus and not it generalizes the attack. So it starts attacking your own body. And in some cases it attacks the person's, the person's own immune system attacks its own, their own organs until organ failure and death. So their own body, their strong immune system kills them because it's the virus is making it confused and doesn't know what to attack. So it attacks everything. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. So a strong immune system could be a vulnerability in that it overreacts and it just implodes itself. Yeah, this is, again, out of our, our realm of expertise, but yes. from what I've seen, <laughs> Very much. If, you're, if, you're, if you're vitamin D deficient, your body is more likely to to attack the wrong things, to, to not have a, a good targeting system, so it could start attacking other things. So the people who have had these cytokine storms seemed to be more vitamin D deficient. That's why they kept pushing that, because it stopped people from having their own immune system attack themselves. But this is the thing, like, people forget that viruses are not just one thing. They're completely, they're very complex. Right. And some of them use they only kill the strongest people. I think I want to say Ebola is one of those. I think it turns your immune system against you and that ends up killing you. Your own, your own defenses end up killing you. So it's not a matter of having good or bad immune systems because having a really strong immune system could be your death depending on the the virus or disease. Interesting. Yeah. And this is all kind of like the different versions of the judo metaphor. Yeah. Force multiplying. (laughs) Yeah. The strategy is to use their momentum. That is a force multiplying technology. So it's already going in this direction. So let's, let's continue following it. So yes, the final thing, I, I have two things left or three rather. One is another thing on Tim Ferriss. He has something called the not to do list. I think this is episode eight of his podcast. I have one talking about another example of a force multiplier and then a, a ton of examples that I just came up with off the top of my head. So the not to do list, I thought you might find this interesting. Okay. This is avoiding all these things. So one, do not answer your phone. Do not answer phone calls from unrecognized or unknown phone numbers. 
This is the reason for this. Yeah, because it's a task. It's a task switching cost. So I use Mm -hmm. do not disturb mode on my phone. I just shut it off so that I can't get any updates and I get my computer to do similar things. Uh, But it's a task switching cost. Every time you switch tasks, it actually costs you mental energy to do that. And it slows you down every time. Apparently, it takes about 20 minutes to get back in the groove of what you were doing before. Wow. But also he points out that answering a phone call from an unknown person puts you in a bad bargaining position because you have no idea who that is. And if they're trying to sell you something or make a deal, you have to think on the spot, which isn't great if it's a, a big decision. Yeah. Number two is do not email first thing in the morning or last thing at night. So first thing in the morning gets you being very reactive. You can't really center yourself at all. And then first thing at night can cause you to be up late at night and restless rolling around for the same reason that that question about getting a bad email on Friday can ruin your weekend. This will ruin your Mm -hmm. nights. Right. Okay. Number three, do not, do not agree to meetings or calls with no clear agenda or end time emphasis on the clear agenda or end time. Cause you know, business meetings, we've never really lived that life too much, but business meetings can run long. They didn't really get anything done. There's no clear agenda. They just want you there for the sake of being there. And if you're in a position to do, to say no, then by all means, please do. But exactly. I mean, most people are just kind of forced to be pulled into it. Mandatory meetings. Yeah. But if, if you have that option, yeah, that's a really nice rule. Number four, do not let people ramble. <laughs> oh, I got to lay on, down the hold line on. you there. He's specifically talking about small talk. So he says small talk takes up big time. Oh, we don't do that. We don't. I don't do small talk too much. We, we actually never ask, how are you doing to each other? I will ask what's going on sometimes because you don't tend to volunteer too much of your life. <laughs> I've never actually, I don't think I've ever asked how you were doing. Because I spontaneously say this stuff. I'm maybe with you possibly an overshare and those things. No, I never have. Yeah. You, you tend to do the opposite. Isn't that strange though? Cause if you think about any other person, you would just naturally be like, Hey, how you doing? I don't think I've ever asked you that question. Well, I mean, we're in constant communication, so you know what's going on and you generally know how I am. <laughs> yeah, so I never just send a text being like, Hey, how you doing today? Just, just checking in. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, if you have constant communication like that, then yeah, you, you know what's going on in their life. You know what they're thinking about their worries and yeah. generally how they're doing. Like today yeah. I was blowing up about that friggin' bank, uh, not accepting wire transfer because there's, uh, their system seems to be outdated and not in with the times. So like, you knew that I was like off kilter from that. That was actually not a great start. Cause they called me from my bank and being like, you got this transfer. I'm like, finally I'm getting paid from something that I've been waiting for, for like four months. And then they're like, oh yeah, by the way, we can't do anything about that. And it's not coming in. You're like, oh, <sighs> great. Thank you. Frustrating. Thank you for that. I need that money ASAP to pay bills, but oh. you're great. Nothing you can do. Great. They weren't even apologetic about it. They're just like, yeah, nothing we do. I'm like, you have like no customers. You're in a small town, single location bank. Like, oh, what am I even doing with you? Why did I inherit this account? Anyway, <laughs> I don't know why you did that's, that. that's me rambling. Okay. So in act back, back to the, we got to We got to check that stop rambling, rambling there. Yeah. All right. So next is just an elaboration of the last point. Don't let people ramble. Um, what he recommends for asking questions is go from, instead of saying, uh, Hey, how's it going? How was your weekend? Instead say, Hey, what's up? Or I'm in the middle of something. What's going on? So getting them to the point, stop like beating around the bush, talking about the weekend and kids and stuff. Instead, just be like, so what's, what's happening? Where, where are we going here? What do you, what's the purpose of this call? And not yeah. doing it in a rude way. Like, what do you want? But more hey, like, what Hey, so what do you want? Yeah. Yeah. I'm in the middle of something. Uh, what's, what's up? Yeah. I, I like that question a lot better. Uh, when I ask of people and greetings, it's usually 
uh, what have you been up to or what are you doing rather What's on than your mind? how are you? Because when you say, how are you, you, you go through the, the formal, sh- oh, small yeah. talk, well, you go through the, 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 the fake talk though. Like nobody yeah. actually gives you real answers during that. It's just filling no. the air. And, and, in and my while job, social niceties, hmm? I, I, I never, I don't ask that in my kind of crisis call job either. Really. I don't start conversations with how you doing mainly because it's not, <laughs> it's not fitting to the role because the answer is always terrible and it's awkward because then they say, Oh, it's terrible. You and I'm all well, great. You know, like, and then it sets you up. Yeah, in fantastic. Week. Thank you. Fantastic. It's a nice day. <laughs> no, you see, I, I don't do it there because it, it doesn't have a favorable outcome when you ask it. You yeah, ask what led, you ask what led to the call today. Uh, what do you what would you want to get out of our conversation? And those are more practical questions. We've talked a bit about social niceties before of like just yeah. wasting time with them. Wasting time. How you can, we can better focus them instead of saying like, "What do you do?" Because that's such a loaded question. That seems like you're evaluating their yeah, their value as a person. Do? And the one I like to ask: How do you spend most of your time? Yeah, how do you spend most yeah. of your time? Or if you want to avoid the work one, you can say, how do you spend, or if you already know that, then you can say, how do you spend most of your free time? Your free time. You can avoid the work question. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. All right. Number five, do not check emails constantly. Batch checking emails and, and check at set times only. So I liked this, this reframing of you said email is, is everyone else's agenda for your time? Yes, it is. Yeah. Everyone's just like, Hey, do this thing. Hey, I want this. Hey, Hey, Hey. As my email sits open in front of me. What do you, you really can't focus. Okay. So the next one or the next part he says about this is for batching. Batching is one of the things he does a lot and promotes a lot for, for saving time. Make a giant meal that you can keep going back to and like dipping from, so you don't have to keep making every single meal. Meal prep. Just cut down on time. Yeah. But also like you wouldn't run your dishwasher if there's only two dishes in it. So wait until things reach a critical mass like emails. So you go back and check instead of interrupting what you're currently doing. Uh, just keep, keep trucking away until the set time, then take that set time to go through and respond to the emails that have come in. I love the batching idea. And I do that for, uh, my, uh, Instagram. I'll do like three months worth of Instagram posts in like a matter of hours, uh, with the help of Adeline doing the, the graphic design, but mm. we just, pump them all out, schedule them and forget it for another few months. Do you find much return on the, the Instagram whole thing? I don't really find it worthwhile no, a lot of the time. It's, it's something that you kind of need to have, uh, but it's, it's not really a priority because it doesn't really lead to a lot of the, the dollars and the traffic and all the rest of it. Kind of, It's kind of a nice to have marketing thing in place, but for me, it's not the primary priority. The which is, I don't know. Uh, I, I'm not even convinced it is something that you need to have anymore. Cause all these platforms used to be like, Oh, something you should have, but like Facebook used to be that and not anymore. Instagram, maybe mm. depends on your, your thing, I guess, but yeah, it depends if it's more visual than yeah. Next one is number six out of nine. Do not over communicate with low profit, high maintenance customers. So this is more business oriented, but yeah. high maintenance customers are a huge time suck. That's, I think we've talked about this before with mm. the, uh, the book, the pumpkin principle, just, these customers can take up all your time and they're not really getting you anything else. So basically make for him, he says like, make a hard line. You can own this amount of emails per day is appropriate. So whatever that is you want, this type of communication, this minimum order size, otherwise we'll redirect you to some other company that can fulfill your needs. Just firing your customers because they're, yeah. um, they're not worth it necessarily. Yeah. Love it. Seven. Do not work more to fix overwhelm. Prioritize. If you do not prioritize, everything seems urgent and important. 
Yes. So letting the low priority things fail a little bit uh, and then focusing the attention on the high priority items. Yeah. Again, the 80-20 rule, stop chasing everything because overwork can balloon indefinitely where you stop seeing your kids, your loved ones, or any Mm -hmm. semblance of a a normal life. Yeah. So you you have to basically say, okay, I'm just going to get this thing done and these are some nice to haves, but I'm clocking out at this time regardless. Exactly. Yep. And that perfectionism makes people want to, I have to do everything. Uh, I have to have all of the social media done. And so I, I do this by focusing the attention on the articles and then letting the Instagram lag a little bit. Yeah. And that's also why I kind of push back on the Instagram must is a gotta have it. Cause you sure you just pick some mediums to go for, but people that think that these are all important end up doing all of them. And then they end up not doing their main work and just focusing mm-hmm. on the social media side, which the return yeah. is super low, so it's not really, really worth doing. In yeah, this way, I guess a force multiplier could be a virtual assistant, hiring somebody mm-hmm. to manage that for you and just yeah. reviewing and making sure they're doing the right thing and letting it go. Yeah, yeah. So the force multipliers, as in, yeah, virtual assistants are huge for that and not something I do. Yep, I think it's something that you should reevaluate. Ah, oh, shit, I said should, damn it. Should, are you should. shitting on me? You're not. I highly you're recommend... Not- Getting a virtual assistant of some sort, some some sort of outsourcing. Uh, verbal, number eight, then. If, you're, if you had the time to verbal judo me, I know you would be a little more savvy with that one. Yeah, I'm just trying to get through this because we're running longer than I thought we would. Yeah. Eight, do not carry a digital leash at all times. <laughs> so he has this quote of this guy. They had a, a coworker that was always on and always available and expected everyone else to do the same. And the response to that coworker was, quote, I'm not the president of the United States. No one should need me at 8 p.m. at night, end quote. Nice. Yeah, because it is this inflation where like the 40 hour work week we got and then it's slowly been slipping and eroding away as time goes on. And uh, for some reason, people don't see that like this was a victory of collective action back like in the I think 70s, 80s. I can't remember when that started. But then it's been slowly disappearing and now people see a 40 hour, like a strictly four hour, 40 hour work week as being a luxury. Like mm-hmm. I see that kind of as a luxury because I always feel like I need to be doing something. And if I'm not, I'm feeling guilty. So I, I even have like those tendencies of internalized capitalism. Oh, same. we both do. I think. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yes. I was up late last night writing an article. Yeah. <laughs> early again this morning writing the article. <laughs> oh, I just obsessed with articles. All right. And then you yeah, gotta, gotta fix, fix it around your schedule. Right. So number nine, the final one is do not expect work to fill a void that non-work relationships and activities should. So he recommends schedule, scheduling life, cool activities, and defend those just as you would an important business meeting. So once you have something for downtime set, something, even if it's just doing nothing, doing nothing is a valid pursuit if you need recharge time. Defend yeah. that as though it's like a vitally important business opportunity because it is. If you keep, yeah. if you keep burning the candle at both ends, you end up having physical problems, mental problems. And probably going to crash and burn. So as Steve could probably definitely attend to, not personally. Oh, yes. Yes. Lack of self-care in persons suffering from mental health and or addiction issues. Yes. Do you come across a lot of workaholism? Is that really yeah. a thing? Yeah. Yeah. It's a com- that's a common one. Really? Huh. I never thought that people would seek help for it because they're just like, ah, you know, I'm just being productive. What's wrong with that? Like the, the entire society. That's never the, the thing that people seek help for. It's usually oh. the, the alcohol or the, th- oh, the, the substance. Yes. Yeah, usually the alcohol after the work, <laughs> but then we look at it and, and like, well, the, your, your work situation might be causing that. And then we look at the work. So 
Yeah, the book I'm reading right now, which you, if you read it, you're going to be compelled to do an article on. It's called The Big Leap. And it's talking about how a lot of these things we self-sabotage because we don't, we don't see where the actual influences are coming from. How am I tying this back in? Oh, he was saying that all arguments about money and relationships are never about money. They're almost always about something else, usually mm-hmm. because the person feels that maybe they don't deserve the success or they're, they're too happy. And I, like the, it seems to be encapsulated in the phrase, I am a deeply flawed human being and I don't deserve this. Yes. That is it. Shame. Yeah. Yeah. Shame on you. Shame on you. <laughs> but it's more, you. that's self-inflicted a lot of the time. Shame is very, very self-inflicted. Uh, I think back in, you know, the, the Victorian times, perhaps shame was more uh, socially inflicted or other inflicted. These days, it's very much self-inflicted. Oh, yeah, for sure. So I, I just thought of this one. I came across this one guy's video and he was talking about how style, but I'm going to expand it to presentation as a force multiplier. So me, I, I don't take this into account nearly enough, mainly because I don't spend much money on the clothes. I know you definitely consider it a lot more. You are much more snappy when it comes Thank to dressing. You. Thank you. Very, very, <laughs> very sharp. Like our, like our sharp and uh, smart and good looking audience. Oh yeah. Our, our intelligent and beautiful. I mean, if you ask me, we have the most beautiful audience that there ever was. And they're so great. We have the best audience. We do clearly. Yeah. So I think for this, it is simple because if you just look cleaner, then you can end up impressing people more. Like this is why I think that like a suit is a uniform that commands respect in society for men at least. Cause if you're wearing a suit walking around, you seem like a very important businessman and maybe like what's going on with this guy. He seems like he's got something going on, but I usually wear t-shirts and jeans. So (laughs) I'm foregoing that. You're not capitalizing on on that area of things. No, I presume that having calm confidence and dressing down, makes people think that you're just one of those tech millionaires. <laughs> oh yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Look, he's, he's, he's so confident. He's wearing this. What? How? <laughs> look at that tech millionaire. Yeah. Right. People don't <laughs> think that. <laughs> I like to just convince myself. It's one of my, my <laughs> enabling beliefs. <laughs> yeah, enabling you to just keep wearing t-shirts and jeans. Yeah, I just got some mustard stains in here, but who cares? I'm going to keep chatting people up yeah. and doing whatever I want to do. Who cares? They're uh, going to think so, I'm a tech millionaire if I wear this. Yeah. So he, this guy points out that in the past, 20% of income would be spent on clothing because it was all handmade. And so his, his main point for if you want to dress better is to buy less, but buy better quality stuff. Mm-hmm. So instead of buying disposable shit that's just fast fashion, don't bother. Just save up, get something that's tailor-made and that will last you indefinitely. But again, this is a this is a privileged thing because it's it's more expensive to be poor. You have to save up enough money to buy something that will last. Yeah. And it is cheaper long term, but sometimes you just you need something now and that's that's what you have to do with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I have a, a list of just examples here. I was gonna say that we're not gonna dive into them too much because we're already in the recording time over an hour. <clears throat> But I thought uh, notable examples that came up in this brief research was leadership, obviously, especially leaders of leaders. I think a lot of leaders are insecure about training the people below them to be better leaders because they think that they're going to take their position, usurp their power. But instead, if you're a leader that trains leaders, then you can influence the leaders and then they can influence all their followers, which exponentially increases your reach. In this case, it would be an exponential reach expansion. Very nice. The next is like Gatling guns were an important one. Networks in general. I think an interesting rule I found for networks was that 
the value of a network is the number of nodes squared. So if you're so, I think it was originally in talking about software and digital networks, but I think it includes social networks in general, because I'll ask somebody that I know that's more in this field. Hey, do you know anybody that knows anything about this? And then they will connect me to somebody else. So yeah, it's, it's very easy to find these people, smart friends. <laughs> There's that story from Scott Adams. If you remember about him giving talks, he was an author and a comic artist at that time. And a company wanted him to, to give a speech, but he didn't want to, cause he had to fly to Canada and he wasn't really confident about speaking. And so the, he talked to a smart friend and his friend who had done enough in this field, giving talks. And he said, what should I do? And he said, okay, well, how much would it be worth for you to, to go there? And he said, I don't know, like $5,000. And he's like, yeah, then ask for that. <laughs> so he had to practice repeatedly trying to say $5,000 with a straight face as though it was a serious number because he couldn't believe that somebody would pay for that. And mm -hmm. so they called up a week later uh, after he practiced a lot. Hey, how much, how much is it, would it, would it cost to get you there? And he said, $5,000 said, great. We'll get you the flight for tomorrow and we'll put you up in the hotel. And he was just like, Whoa, cause he wouldn't have considered it otherwise. And then he found out that it could actually be very lucrative. The final examples are judo, time management, saying no, I guess love kind of software, marketing, email lists, arbitrage, which we talked about in the last episode, sighing, buying from a lower cost area and moving into a higher cost area. Mm -hmm. And just, I guess, efficiency. Anyway, that's it. That's all I got. <laughs> Thoughts, Steve? I love this topic. I, and we talked about it longer than we expected, but it's it's useful it creates efficiency it's in line with my thinking on how motivation works and verbal judo uh, and all the rest of it so good job thank you so i think the takeaway is look for force multipliers in your life what things could you stop doing that would save you time or what things can you outsource what things can you do in a different way are there tools or consultants that you can pay for because especially if you run your own business it's smarter to use somebody else's expertise to do something when instead of teaching yourself. So if you don't know what you're doing, you're at kind of like a plateau or you could be doing things more efficiently, then it's best to try to do that by possibly hiring a consultant. Like we have said before, like a good accountant can actually pay for themselves several times over by saving you money in tax. So these things are force multipliers and we should maximize them as much as possible. <laughs> Thank you and good night. Take care. So I guess I'm going to go first today. Yep. As usual. As per usual. Also, Steve thought this topic would be boring and didn't want to hear about it. And look how, how surprised he was.